Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear, and we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. It's my pleasure to be here today, and I just want to thank Jimmy and Gigi for inviting me to speak, and just for uh, Caleb to give a platform for uh, so many of uh, the leaders here to, uh, to share, to step into God's gifts and anointings. And I just want to piggyback a little bit off of what Britt said. You know, as, as the church, the function of the church is to equip the body to do the work of ministry. And so much of the time, the expectations are flipped. Church, what are you doing? And I'm going to say, we're equipping you. That's our role. Everybody goes, well, the church should solve this problem. No, no. The church is equipping you to solve this problem. And that's why we have the Jesus Lab. That's why we have the ARCO Launch Conference coming up July 23rd. That's why we're doing all these things to prepare you because we believe that the kingdom in you is the hope for our city. You are the solution. And so much of the time, we sort of have these like vague concepts like the church or it can be specific, like the resting place. But there's part that each one of you carrying the kingdom into your neighborhood is the solution that God has. And so I want to just encourage you, Lord, what do you have for me in this time, in this season? And that kind of leads into today's message. And I just, I want to warn you up front, My goal for this message is to give you a Holy Spirit mind virus that rewrites your brain. We're going to plant the seed today, and you're going to see it replicate over and over and over in your brain. Because the point is that our mind is renewed. And sometimes we need, it's almost like that, you know, it it sounds a lot nicer. Plant a seed, right? That sounds more biblical, right? I want to give you a mind virus. God is not double-minded about you. God is not confused about you. We have a whole culture that's confused about everything. God's not confused. And he's not confused about you. And he's got a plan for you. And, And the thing is, when we read the Bible, there are consequences to the thoughts that God shares with us. There's effects. There's downstream must do's if what God says is true. And sometimes we get confused. We get double-minded because of our experiences. And we go, well, I know God's word says that, but you got to stop that. Don't do that. God's not double-minded. This is a call to repentance. The concept of repentance is actually to think differently afterward. So I want you to think differently after today's message about God, about how you interact with God, and what God thinks about you. Because God has thoughts about you, right? As much as the sands on the sea, he's thinking good things about you. But some of you don't actually believe that. Some of you are living in condemnation. Have you ever felt like God has good days towards you? And then he has bad days towards you. 
right? I mean, if you, if you look historically, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, they were very uh, mercurial, right? They're up and they're down. They're up and they're down. They have good days. They have bad days. They mess with people. They don't mess with people. They're good to people. Then they're bad to people. We, we apply that same kind of thinking to God. But God is always light, right? In him, there is no darkness. His thoughts towards you are consistent. And sometimes we have such a, a a draw towards punishment and the punishment motifs that we read that into the Bible. And we, what we think we see when we read is God being angry. But most of the time, when you step back, God is patient. He's patient. He's like, please don't sacrifice your kids on idols. Please don't do this. I'm telling you, it's not good for your culture. Worshiping other things besides me is not good for you. It leads you into all kinds of places you don't want to go. He's patient. If you look at King David, how many years and subsequent kings does God say, because of my servant David, I'm going to have mercy on them? I mean, you're talking four, five, six hundred years later. You read it and you kind of like, you're flipping through, you know, kings and like blah, blah, this guy begat, begat, begats, right? And they have, you know, more wickedness, right? They, they keep wandering off the ranch. But because of one person's faithfulness to God. God's like generations, hundreds of years later, he's still like, I've got good. I'm going to be patient. You're not going to get what you deserve. God's mercy endures forever, right? We say these things, but we have this conflict. Psychologists call it cognitive dissidence. So cognitive dissidence is a mental discomfort holding two conflicting ideas, beliefs, or values. Another way is a mental conflict resulting from incongruous beliefs and attitudes held simultaneously. Dictionary.com defines it as anxiety that results from simultaneously holding contradictory or otherwise incompatible attitudes, beliefs, or the like. I have had cognitive dissidence. Have you? Yes, you have. Just, I'll answer for you. Yes. Because we say things like, God loves you, and then we talk about how God hates these different groups. You can't hold those two thoughts together without some level of discomfort, because they don't work together. You know, early on in the TRP his, you know, history, we started with these signs that you still see. God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. There's, there's a downstream effect to that. He's not mad. But if your lens is God is mercurial and I never know when I'm going to displease him, and if I displease him, then he's going to smite me. That's a nice biblical word, smite. I don't even know exactly what that means. It sounds like you're getting squished, right? The, then, then we cannot comply with what the Bible says to boldly approach the throne of grace. See, when, when, you, when you believe one thing, there's, there's consequences to that. And what I want to encourage you today is that God believes certain things about you. And he's not confused. You can be confused. He's never confused. So has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? 
He's never like, oh, didn't see that one. Right? Oh, my gosh, they made a choice I, I wasn't aware of. There was something that, there was some sin that my son didn't pay for. Because that's how we act. We act like somehow our sin was so much greater than what Christ did. And what's really funny is you feel bad about it, but you're actually being arrogant. Because <laughs> my sin was so bad that God couldn't deal with it. Because I'm not rightly perceiving where my sin is compared to the price that Christ paid. But God is fully committed to Christ in you. Because if you were co-crucified with Christ, and now you no longer live, but Christ lives in you, God is 100% fully committed to see Christ's mission happen in your life. So you don't have to wonder, is God happy with me? Is he not happy with me? He's always happy with Jesus. And guess who's carrying him? You. Right? So you can know and have confidence that God is in a good mood when he looks at you. I grew up in uh, what this one podcast that's kind of doing an expose on, on my church is called a doomsday apocalyptic cult. How's that for, uh, you know? So tell me about your growing up. I grew up in a doomsday apocalyptic cult. But we did. We thought God was going to come back in 1975, which we kind of missed that one. And uh, then there were some other dates, and God didn't comply with those either. So uh, they finally quit doing dates. But, you know, in that, there was, uh, there was the 144,000 that were going to be saved. The problem is, when you think you're part of that 144,000, you don't really want to evangelize past the 139,999 because you need to make sure you got a seat on that bus. There's a downstream effect. There's a consequence. And so, like, we were always a little confused, especially because we had 150,000 members worldwide. <laughs> and you're kind of like, uh, I hope I make the cut. Yeah. Lottery might be fair, but we didn't think of it that way. It was always like, behave, or you're, you're bottom of the list. Right? And so it created fear. And then I, as I left that apocalyptic cult, I found out that there are other churches that were just as crazy as we were. They just didn't get a cult status, right? We got a special little badge. Um, so it was really nutty. But here's the thing. Whatever you choose to believe is going to result in, in behavior choices. I mean, I think about those kids in high school, the ones that, that really believed that they were cool. They just walk different. They're like, oh. You know, and sometimes it's even like movie stars. You see them when, when they're all dressed up and they're on the red carpet, and you're like, wow, they look important. But they put some sunglasses on and bummy clothes, and you pass right by them, and you don't know who they are. Why? Because uh, what you project has effects. People sense it. People know when you're confident and when you're, like, trying to hide. But here's the thing. Most Christians are hiding because you have so much shame and condemnation for the things that Christ already paid for. But we don't really believe that it's paid for. 
So because our belief is not partnering with the truth, we're seeing effects in our life that are inconsistent with the promises of the Bible. And they're like, I don't know if God really honors this word. Well, you've got cognitive dissonance. You've got this conflict happening in you because in moments of trauma, the enemy lies to you and you believe the lie and that's the stronghold. That becomes the root for the stronghold. Caleb's talked about this in past messages, but I just want to keep reiterating it because when we feel shame and condemnation, it's really just as simple. Let's get rid of the lie. And when you break agreement with the lie, the stronghold has to fall because you took the foundation out of it. And so sometimes if you attack the walls of a stronghold, it's really hard. If you take the foundation out, it's an easy push. And so sometimes we're, we, we make these battles out to be harder than they are. You know, in, uh, in James 1.5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven tossed and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I've always read that verse and been like terrified that I'm going to be so double-minded. And yet, if I'm honest, those are the places where I probably had the most trouble is the areas where I'm double-minded. And yet, the more I've sought the Lord, the more I've read his word, the more I've let my mind be renewed that I am one with Christ, that he lives in me, that he's going to empower me, that if I sin, I have an advocate before the Father. That phrase, if, implies that it doesn't have to be. We have this assumption that, like, your life is going to be one nonstop screw-up until you die, and then at some point, you're going to transition to glory. Glory starts when Jesus came in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so we get things wrong because we don't anticipate or expect anything good to happen in this life. Then your expectations become your reality. But I want to encourage you. There is no I call it low light reel in heaven. How many of you have been in church or heard that like when you get to heaven, they're going to show like the film of all your sins? Anyone? Just one, two? Okay. Here, all right. It's pretty pervasive. Can I tell you that that's anti-biblical? It's heresy. It's heresy. I say it on the live stream. It's heresy. It's not true at all. It's counter to the word of God. Oh, but how are you going to guilt and manipulate people into behaving well? Oh, well, leading free people is much harder than controlling and trying to, to drive behaviors. You guys get to choose to come here. Leading free people can be challenging. But that's the only way Jesus does it. You know, he was willing to, to say hard stuff and just drop the mic and see who walks away. I mean, that whole, like, eat my flesh, drink my blood speech, he didn't explain it to the crowd. 
Like the disciples had to come back afterward to get like, what was the real message? He just kind of dropped it and was like, well, we'll see who stays. It's wild. <laughs> Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. If he remembers your sins no more, then there will be no low light reel in heaven. You can boldly approach the throne of grace. That's why I want to encourage you. God's not double-minded, and you don't have to be either. It's so important that the author of Hebrews says it again two chapters later. In Hebrews 10, starting in verse 12, it says, But when Christ had offered for all time, say all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, again, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Don't you just feel a little bit freer? Doesn't the word of God just like, he's not going to remember this. So for you to keep playing your mistakes over and over in your mind is probably not consistent with what God's word says. You give yourself grace, mercy, and move on. Because when we just get in this rehash, the, the hardest times that I've had in getting breakthrough are when I keep revisiting all the mistakes that I've made. And I get stuck, and I'm like, ugh. And then I'm mad at God. And then I have all these other frustrations that pop up. And then I'm, like, grumpy with my family, and I'm grumpy at work. And, like, some of y'all just get breakthrough at work just by re relieving yourself of the condemnation from pa the past mistakes. People will like you better. The gospel might actually be attractive to people. Christians can be so angry. Like, I mean, I watch Facebook. There's a lot of angry Christians. Like, that's cognitive dissidence. Like, wait a minute. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, joy, and like angry on social media. Right? It, it, no. But our peace and joy is not being communicated well. You know, it's interesting, even in the Old Testament, God was, was prophesying this. He was predicting this. In Isaiah 54, it says, This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. My steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Is that what you're thinking about when you're praying? That the Lord would be compassionate towards you. I've needed to hear that. I'm actually, I'm starting to find way harder on myself than the Lord is. 
and putting a lot of performance pressure on myself that the Lord is not. And maybe that's you. Shape up or ship out, right? I mean, that's kind of things I heard growing up. But that's not the Lord who's compassionate towards you. His steadfast love. We have to think about if if this is true, then what's my response? Right? There's consequences. There's effects. And, and so often we want to short-circuit this and just go, hey, would you behave better? And that's part of been the challenge for the, the, the Christian culture is we have an expectation that somehow when you meet Jesus, what happens to your spirit of being fully renewed, sanctified, and glorified immediately manifests in every area of your life. But the working out of salvation is not working for salvation. It's bringing, uh, it's bringing that holiness to every part of your life. So that you can choose to be holy at the gym. You can choose to be holy at work. You can choose to be holy at school, at home. Because that's who you are. It's not made up. It's you releasing Jesus in you. And sometimes we, we make this sometimes a little bit harder than it is to really believe that the solutions to our, our, the challenges in our community are beyond, it's beyond hope. But what if it's not? What if it was just us actually trusting that the Lord would provide for our needs and go, Lord, I need a solution for my financial provision so that I can actually dream. Because if you're living hand to mouth, month to month, it's hard to dream. It's hard to go, God, show me what you want me to do because you're afraid about making rent. About how your grocery bills probably almost doubled in the last few months. Right? But God has a plan. But we don't, we don't check in because, you know, at least for me, I've, I, don't, I didn't check in with God that much because I thought he was angry. Because I was double-minded about how God thought about me. He's not double-minded. He's like, I see Christ in you. I want to release Christ in you. Everywhere. Everywhere. What would that look like for you? You know, there's part that, I actually Googled it because I saw it on a meme, and so between gatherings, I had to confirm it because not everything you see on Facebook is true. Um, but Jesus asked th about 307 questions that people that count those sort of things have counted. And he answered three but here's the thing. You, you came to church for answers. But what if I gave you more questions? Because here's the thing. I can tell you the truth, and you can go, hmm, hmm, kind of true, kind of maybe in this area, 
but not, not everywhere in my life. And you, you can pick and choose. You can say, that guy, I don't think so. That's not, or in our culture, that's not true for me. The whole point of truth is that there's an absolute somewhere, right? But if I ask you questions, you have to wrestle with it. And because I think we've set up a paradigm and a culture that you come to church just for answers and to be told what to think, we think that that also works in the world. And we go tell other people what the answer is and what they should think. And then there's the, you know, how's that working for you? Dr. Phil question. It's not working. We're becoming more and more irrelevant because we're busy being, you know, bossy bees instead of asking better questions. Why do you think that? What makes you tick? Why, why is that, you know, you know, in our culture? Why, why do you think abortion's the answer? We're going to tell them it's wrong. How about you ask them first? Why is that the answer? What is it that you're really afraid of? What are you really afraid of? I've always, in, in a lot of the different, like, prayer ministries and things that I've, I've read and studied, you know, your problem's not your problem. I'm angry, I gamble, I drink, I do drugs, I do whatever. No, no, that's not your problem. That's your, that's your coping mechanism. What's your problem? I read in some of Danny Silk's books, you know, he sits down and I was like, so what's your problem? And people tell him, and he's like, hmm, so what's your problem? And they're kind of like, I feel like I just told you. He's like, that's not your problem. What's your problem? And they take another stab at it. And, you know, it's sort of like, what's your dream? What's God called you to do? Uh, I don't know. Maybe this. Well, what's the dream? Uh, like, it, sometimes you've got to ask yourself questions three, four, five times because you have your surface answer, right? How are you? Fine. You didn't even think. Your mouth just operated on its own. <laughs> Fine. Right? I heard one person say fine stands for freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and, um, oh, there was an E. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Anyway, yeah, emotional. And uh, so, you know, fine. I'm fine. But we, if, we're, if we're going to get to a place where we are confident that God's not double-minded about us, we've got to ask ourselves the questions. What's my problem? What is it that I'm afraid of that intimacy with God is scary? That he would ask me to change. He would ask me to give up something of who I think I am that, that would make me not me. What is it you're afraid of with intimacy with God? I feel like that, that that's for some, somebody, a lot of people here. That you're afraid if you really turn loose your life to the Lord, that somehow you would not be you. I was terrified of that as a kid. I remember early on, this was a lie that the enemy slipped in. That if I gave my life to the Lord, he would make me poor and send me to Africa to be a missionary. 
2006 and 2007, I finally went to Africa. And I was like, man, I could retire in the hills of Tanzania. They got coffee farms. You're like on the equator, but it's only like 75 degrees. I was like, I could live here. This might not be as bad a gig as I was afraid of. And sometimes that's the thing. The, the thing you fear becomes much bigger than it really is because you've worried about it and ruminated on it and stewed on it and let it. That was the mind virus that I'm looking to replace today. That you would start to think about yourself the way God thinks about yourself. <clears throat> the Bill Johnson quote about, you shouldn't have a thought about you that God doesn't have about you. Those are things that like, you have to take every thought captive. You have to pull on heaven to go, what is true? You know, in, in Hebrews, it has a whole list of people who, who made it into the hall of faith, right? By faith, this person did this. By faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, would you believe that God really likes you? That he's not mad at you? That in this culture where everybody's agitated and mad about everything, you could be different. Part of our mission is for the lost to be found, for the found to be free, and for peace to reign. But for peace to reign in Tampa Bay, it's got to reign in you first. And if you have cognitive dissidence about who you are in Christ, the outside mission is not going to be accomplished. You have peace. You own your peace. And there can be things, it's as simple as taking authority over whatever's bothering you. If you can put a name to the emotion that's bothering you, you can send it out the door. I take authority over aggravation, frustration, irritation, all the other shuns, and out you go in Jesus' name. And instead, I receive peace, joy, patience, right? You can roll through all the fruits of the Spirit. Because when you do that, you are partnering and releasing the kingdom in you into the natural. I heard one person say, the earth is actually a wormhole between the Spirit and the natural. And I was like, I don't even know what that means exactly, but <laughs> it sounds deep. But I started thinking about it. It's a connection point, right? But it's not even just the earth. It's the people. It's the people that carry Christ. You are the connection point between the spiritual kingdom of God and the natural. And so when we say on earth as it is in heaven, it's through you that it happens on earth. So I want to encourage you. Be single-minded about your identity in Christ. That's why we have the Jesus Lab. We spend a whole semester on your identity in Christ. It's who you are. Because if you're not, if you're confused about your identity, you're confused about your behavior. That applies for a lot of different of our cultural ills. But the thing is, the truth is, when you're clear on who you are in Christ, and then you start going, is this part of my life consistent with that? Because what happens is Jesus becomes our plumb line. And so you see a straight, like a plumb line, if you don't know what that is, it's a string with a weight on the bottom, and it hangs 
perfectly straight. And so if you're kind of standing like this, you can kind of look at the plumb line and go, I, I'm not quite there. And you course correct until the goal is Jesus is shining through you in your unique way. The thing is, it, sometimes the fear is I'll be like a yellow pencil. Like we'll all be the same. But if you look at creation, you know that's not true. God loves a diversity of just about everything. <laughs> and everything, like, multiplies like crazy. You know, our work culture is like uh, an hourly wage. You trade an hour for um, money. But God is about sowing and reaping. And you plant a seed and you reap a harvest. This multiplication of what God wants to do in you and through you. There's so much more. And I just want to encourage you, there's more. Lean into the kingdom. There's more. Who you think you are is really one of the most important questions you can answer. Child of God, Someone from a broke, dysfunctional family that is never going to get out of wherever they live. Those are two very different views. One has hope, one doesn't. Christ in you is the hope of glory. We should be the hope of the nations. We should be the city on a hill. We should be the light. We have all these biblical references, but there's this call to say, would you stand up in that? Would you be the light at your work? Would you find solutions to the problems? I think too many times we just focus on the problem instead of asking the Lord, what's the solution? The whole point of, you know, like when we look at our, at our current situation and we're talking about, you know, we're going to adopt the problem. Unplanned pregnancies. But we're going to have to look at What's going on with the foster care system? What's going on with the adoption process? How are we going to deal with uh, families that just need extra support? How are we going to tackle this? But it's people that are in business. It's the church out in, in the world that are making the difference. I don't think that was me. Um, and so... My apologies. I didn't hear what you said. I'm not talking to Siri. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say it again, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> well. But the, the, the point is that we want to empower you to have a dream of what it would look like for God to move in your sphere of influence. What would it look like for God to be in Tampa Bay everywhere? Because I've said, actually, for years, what's the Christian view if we take abortion off the table? We, we became a one-issue organization. Okay. Can we check the box? Now what? I never thought I'd actually be in this place to be going, now what? But we, we needed to be thinking about this actually before we got here. 
And there are organizations that have been tackling this. And we partner with Choices, and we partner with uh, other organizations that are dealing with foster care and, and helping people. Because this isn't the first time we've thought about this. It's part of our mission statement to see poverty eliminated, to see human trafficking eliminated, to deal with the, the these are real problems here in Tampa. These are in our neighborhoods. But the thing is, in the church, we have to have peace reign in our houses first. I'm just reading a sad statistic that one in three kids has seen their mom get hit. Dude, if you don't have peace in your house, we can talk about all the, the re very real problems that are out there, but how are we going to have a solution if you can't trust the people you love? If, there's, if, if a child is confused between the people that they think love them and are terrified of abuse, how can they? It's, it's going to lock them up. I don't know how to engage. I don't know how to act. I can't, how can they be a safe place for someone else? Right? We've got some real generational healing that needs to happen in our house first so that our homes are homes of peace so that we can invite these kids in who have come from tragic situations. The criticism is you take kids from the frying pan and you put them in the fire. Right? That should not be. And so that's the call. Will you stand up in your identity in Christ to be a place of peace, to own your healing? I just want to read over you some identity declarations. There's scripture for each of these. But I want you to hear this. We've given this out at different times in our TRP history. But it just says, I am a child of the king. I am the heir of the great I am, and I am made in his image. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am an ambassador of love. I am a winner. I am a champion. God makes me victorious, and I am blessed everywhere I go because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, for I am more than a conqueror, and no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I am loved, and I love, and I'm inseparable from God's love, because I'm the temple of God. I am God's happy thought. I'm Jesus' friend. I am a saint, and I am dead to sin and alive to Christ. I am free from condemnation. For he who the Son sets free is free indeed, and I am free to be all that God has created me to be because I am God's handiwork. And I'm seated in heavenly places where I'm thinking pure, noble, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy thoughts like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. But I am delighting in the Lord. And the Lord is giving me the desires of my heart for my inheritance is coming. Now the Lord shall provide for all of my needs out of his glorious riches in Christ Jesus because I am seeking his kingdom, glory, power, and honor. And the Lord hears my prayers. The Lord has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, because I am a child of God. What if that was true for you? You. To be a child of God. To be victorious. To have, your, to have confidence that your prayers are heard. That is your destiny.
Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are not double-minded about us. We thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you are secure and stable in your identity, and you impart security and stability to us. We thank you that you call us to love because you have loved us first. We thank you that you have solutions for the problems that our society is facing and that you will empower us to connect with your heart to bring kingdom solutions to the people around us. Jesus, we love you, and I just bless everyone here with a confidence that they can boldly approach the throne of grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear, and we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.